I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a truth this morning. This is something that I, I want to talk about because it's informative for you to know. And I doubt, and I'm not saying this boastfully or proud, I say this with, with regret and, and sadness that you're probably not going to hear this preached in any pulpit in America today. For two reasons. Number one is they don't know. And number other reason is they don't know. But this morning, I'm going to teach you about something because people don't realize that they have the potential to die twice. People think they can only die one time, and a lot of people will only die one time. But, but there is a dying twice. And not knowing this basic scriptural truth, that's why we've come up with all the theologies of, you know, when you die, you go to heaven and all that kind of stuff. So, but I want to ask us a question this morning. And that is this, if everybody in our church was you, what kind of church would we have? If we were, if we were a, a church full of Johnnies or a church full of Charlottes or a church full of Rogers or a church full of Irwins or a church full of Bevies or church, what kind of church would we have? What would get done? What would not get done? And that's a question I would like for you to meditate, meditate on this week. Your, your part, what are you doing? What are you adding to? And, and if, if the church was full of just yous, would the church even last? That's the question I want all of us to ask ourselves this week. So I want to talk about what the Bible teaches us and shows us and clearly states to us the nature of man. I've got a teaching. I think I have it on uh, Facebook notes. You know, you go on Facebook, and you go to this one thing more, and he goes down to notes, and I have a good, lot of good stuff about, you know, what happens when you die, the uh, origin of Satan and the devil, uh, and I think the nature of man is on there. I'm not sure. But anyhow, I've taught it before. It's in-depth. It takes a long time. It's when I used to do the three or four CD series type of stuff. I'm trying to nutshell it a little bit but the bible teaches us about the nature of man what the bible really says about who we are where we came from how we exist our our, our results now what we are as a physical being and a moral being what is man and it teaches us all about that and i've tried to teach you what the bible says about all that but it also doesn't doesn't just tell us where we're from and what we are but the beautiful part is the Bible reveals what we may become. And not only does it tell us what we may become, but it also tells us how we become what we may become. Romans 7.18, if you can put that up there this morning, because a lot of people don't like when I say this, and they don't believe what I say, and I'm like, look, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. It's the, really the first step of repentance. I mean, when somebody finally realizes that, that there's nothing inside of them that's good. 
in the midst of a society that is shoving down our throats that everything's good. You're good. You're good. You're good. There's good. There's good in everybody. They're good. I understand kind of what they're saying, but the fact is, ultimately, you know, it's not good. I, I, I had a, someone, a friend of mine on Facebook, post something the other day and saying, look, everybody's born perfect. And it did that to excuse all the, the mental disorders of our society today. When you can, look, as a man, look in the mirror and see a woman, you got a mental disorder. True? I can, I can, and I don't care how I dress it up. If I look in a mirror, I know that ain't no woman. That's it. We've made this thing, oh, everything's beautiful in its own way, you know, and I like the song, don't get me wrong. And I, you, God loves everybody, and all, I, know all, I know all that, but the fact is, the Bible reveals to us that there is no good thing in humans. The very opposite of what they say. Not only is everybody not born good, everybody is born with no good thing in them. And I'm going to tell you, that flies in the face of the carnal mind and the flesh. It flies in the face. My point is to the people is like this, look. If we're going to say we're Christians and Bible believers, then why don't we believe the Bible? If not, call yourself something else. You know, if you're going to change marriage to between a man and a man and a woman, a woman instead of a man and a woman, call it something else. But don't hijack Bible terms to do it. The Bible says not only go to Ecclesiastes 3.19. Some of you probably have this memorized. He said, look, there's no good thing in you. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, human beings are no different than other animals. Now that flies in the face of all the stuff we do. And now what we've done, we've made animals more valuable even than other humans. I'll tell you something, you bother somebody's dog, they will kill you. I get it. You come, become attached and all that. But what happens, I'm telling you what the Bible teaches about who you are, and what the Bible teaches about who you can become, and what the Bible teaches how you can become that. Are you with me? But we got to realize that we're not that yet, and how God views us according to the Bible. See, we've been taught that humans have this inherent divine spark in them of immortality, and that they will always live. They just say some of them are going to live and burn it in hell forever. And the others are going to live forever in heaven. But the fact is, everybody, nobody's going to really die. Even though the Bible says, ye shall surely die. And the wages of sin is death. And that you should have two options. You can perish or have eternal life. No matter what the Bible says, we have it in our brains. That we had it, we've been given it by attrition. It's just been given to us, given to us, given to us, given to us. And we, we, we have it so deep inside that we think that there is something immortal in us when the Bible says no man hath immortality. And immortality never even came to light except through Christ. Wasn't even available till Yahshua came. Let me tell you what the Bible says. But we have this thing put in us. The Bible says that no, you, you don't have immortality. You don't have that. That's the gift. That's the reward. It says, you shall receive eternal life. Well, if I've already got eternal life, why well, do I need to receive eternal life? 
Won't he say, you shall receive the gift of going to heaven and not hell? That ain't what the Bible teaches. It says, and you shall receive eternal life. Well, if I'm born with eternal life, why do I need to get eternal life? The people understand the Bible. That's that attrition that's made us believe certain things. The fact is, we're destitute from immortality. When we die, we die. We're, we're destitute from inherent holiness. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. We are destitute from inherent immort- uh, honor and glory. The Bible says that humans are a humble creature, and the Bible says that we are made subject to selfishness and pride, and that we were born an enemy against God and His laws. These things are taught abundantly, not only in the Word of God, but through the very reality of the way that man lives, destitute of God. The future destiny of a person that's born is death. It's based up, it is based upon the very constitution of his nature and what he is. And it is an eternal, his destiny is an eternal cessation of his existence when he returns to the same dust his parents returned to. That's what the Bible teaches. And I don't, like I said, I know what tradition says, and I know what we've, we've received and been taught all of our lives, but if we're going to say we're Bible believers, then we should believe the Bible. I don't care what tradition. You know, I've had, I had somebody tell me one time, this guy I've known him for years, you know, and I love the guy, and he loves me, I think. But he, you know, he said, man, you've got to quit, quit preaching that stuff. And I said, bro, I'm going to stick with the Bible. I said, I'll tell you what I'd like for you to do. Correct me. Please. Correct me. You guys, a Bible scholar, I can tell you all kinds of stories about who, who he hangs out with and all that nationally. And I'm not boasting to myself. I'm just saying, that's somebody, hey, I, I'm, I'll listen. You please. I'm not talking about what you think. I already know what you think because that's what I used to think. But the Bible says the conclusion to which revelation and common sense tells us from somebody who's independent from prejudice and denomination and those who have the courage to face it in the face of ignorance and bigotry and persecution because that's what you're up against to change what you believe it's hard to say your mama was wrong hard to say it but it's hard to say that we're wrong especially if you have a ministry and you've told people things it's hard to come back i mean you could lose your very income The grand truth of God's word is that glory and honor and incorruptibility and life are the reward of a character formed in harmony with the commandments of Yahweh as revealed in the life and represented in the life of his son, Yahshua. Did y'all hear what I just said? Immortality isn't inherent. Why would Yahweh give us eternal life if we already were born with it? What's the reward, the gift? Immortality is the reward of a good godliness or godlikeness character. A character which is going to be pronounced by the judge. Go to Ephesians 5.27. I want to show you the kind of character that Yahweh is wanting us to mature into. Look at this. For the, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now watch this. 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, I want to say what people are going to tell you. You can't do that. Well, I wish he wouldn't demand it of me in the Bible. The same people that tell me you can't, you can't be perfect. Well, the word means mature. I'm, that don't mean we won't ever have shortcomings. But I want to tell you what. I'd rather be a failure at trying than success, successful at quitting. I'd rather be a failure at trying than a success at quitting. I remember I used to tell you all this. Can't you just try? Can't you just try? Hang on with me this morning. If glory and honor and eternal life is worth the sacrifice on, of everything on earth to obtain, and I want to tell you, to be persuaded to live holy and righteous and unblemished in Yahshua is a powerful motivator for me. Do you really believe in the fairy tale? That really you kind of have to by faith accept. To believe in a God you can't see? To believe you hear his voice? To say all these things that we say based on faith and belief? And remember, faith isn't just believing something that you can't see, but it's, it's having hope for and trusting Yahweh to do what we haven't seen come to pass yet. That's what Hebrews 11 means. I tell people this, you got me. But you can't, you know, you, you say people go to heaven and hell. I say, well, you can't prove that any more than what you're disagreeing with me about. But I tell you, I do know one sure thing. Everybody dies. How I many know that's a fact? But if we're going to believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, if we're going to base it on the Bible, and if we're not, let's, just go, let's go do something else. But I believe... According to the scriptures, what God has promised, I accept who he says I was, and I'm learning to become what he says I can be, and he's shown me in his word how to. So for me to live a holy, righteous, unblemished life in Yeshua, it's overwhelmingly powerful to motivate me to serve God. Wait a minute, what did you say? Because many of us work hard and sacrifice a lot for just a temporal goal. Some of y'all become a slave of a bank and pay high interest rates just to have a nice house that you're not going to be able to keep very long. By the time you get it paid for, you're dead. Huh? How many know we're renting? You know you're renting. And, you know, it's like some people I know, you know, you get a car and, and you get tired of it before you even get, make the first three or four payments. <laughs> hey, uh, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know who that would be. I don't want to reveal that to anybody. Man. To really have immortality, and the Bible says this is it. Don't you think that if that was true, people would really be studying more about having eternal life than they are how to eat good? I talked to a man the other day, physician. Physician was over uh, on boards of co a corporation that that went in and fixed hospitals and all this. He and I were talking, you know, and and <clears throat> he was telling me all this stuff about you know his his belief system, and he was telling me uh, about eating well and how you know the, these you have a certain gene that may cause this and actually I, I, I was talking to him I played in a golf tournament that was uh, supporting uh, breast cancer awareness and he was talking about I was talking about my wife said about this lady that she knew or read about or something who had that gene and every female in her family got breast cancer so this lady said hey I'm gonna get a double mastectomy and got a double mastectomy to prevent herself from having to even deal with that he was talking about, well, you know, the, that's, that's true. You've had that, that gene, I forget what it's called, is a bad gene. But 
He's talking about how eating well, eating well, and studying these books and reading all these books of how to live just for a little while. And if we really truly believe what the Bible says, it would, it would appear to me that we would invest more time to learn how to live forever. Say, look, man, I know you're, you're, you know, I know you're eating perfect now and your healthy bodies, and I'm, I'm all for that, but, you know, I want some of that ice cream. I'm, I'm joking. I got carried away. You know, it's like, hey, this is, we're, you cannot eat yourself into immortality. Now, you can eat yourself to death. True? And I'm all for that. I'm just making the comparison this morning. It would seem like if we really believed. But see, this is what happened. We ease ourselves over it because somebody told us that Jesus paid it all. He did. For your past sins. Hang on, listen to what I'm talking about. But the title of the day is this. Some people are going to die twice. Some people are going to die twice. I think somebody who tells me that this doctrine and this message that I'm preaching is demoralizing and unachievable are just blind, lazy, and carnal. That's what I think. I don't mean that mean either. I don't know any language strong enough to express how much that you and I should not entertain the ignorance and the perverseness of such whiners who aren't really wanting to have immortality. That their religion is a part-time thing and everything else come first. They put it in the jar, they can it, and they put it on the shelf. And I saw a friend of mine posted the other day on Facebook. She said, she said, I got all my canning done for the winter. And it was jars of candy all the way across the top of the thing up there. We want to put Yeshua and our, okay, I got, all right, I go to church, I time, I got this. I got it. I got it. Take care. He's taking care of it, everything. What stronger motivation to holiness and to virtue could the goodness of God purpose for us in an unending pleasurable, dignified, eternal existence, ruling and reigning with him on the earth. I want to tell you, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty exciting thing for me. I get more excited than that than I do anything that I can think of ever in the history of my life. Acts eleven eighteen. I like to show scriptures because then people watching me, I read the Bible sometimes. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Remember, I'm telling you this, we're at the end of the Gentile age. And Yahweh's mercy and grace, He is allowing to, He is correcting what the Gentiles corrupted. And all these teachings that, you know, through Constantine, all that we've, we've learned about over all these years, He's given the Gentiles, before that door closes, he's going to bring Israel back in. If that kind of motivation won't grant repentance, repentance or cause me to repent, how many of you know that repentance is a gift and you just can't decide you're going to do it one day? Nobody can talk you into being repentant. Nobody can talk you into being saved. You can talk to your blue in the face but you cannot convince somebody, even, even Agrippa told Paul, man, you're smart. Almost persuadest thou me to be a Christian. You can't persuade anybody to be a Christian. 
you can let your light shine and preach the gospel to them. If the hope, and there's only one hope, the Bible says. And it's not going to heaven when you die. That's not the hope. It's just not. It's just not. And I can spend hours teaching on it and showing you. I've written things on it, notes and all, and messages to show, you, show people that. But if that hope of what the gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel that Yahshua preached, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you what the gospel of Jesus Christ was. It was the gospel of the kingdom. Not one time did he say, man, believe upon me and you can live in hell forever. And if you don't, you're going to burn in hell forever. Not one time. How could a man live in hell forever and ever that he don't have, he, if he don't get eternal life? And they say the only way to get eternal life is to become a Christian and get saved. If you're a Christian and get saved, you get to go to heaven, according to them. So how can a guy who don't get eternal life go to hell forever? Has anybody heard what I just said? It's so, it's, it's so simple. It's hard to explain. Well, if the only way to get eternal life is to accept Jesus and I get to go to heaven, so how's a person going to go to hell if he didn't accept Jesus and get eternal life? We could go there, but he, won't, he, he don't have eternal life. I'm sorry, I got confused. And I got, my head, I get dizzy trying to say that. If, that mo- if the, the one hope isn't enough to motivate us to live godly, pure lives, I'm at a loss to conceive what will or to put any kind of carrot before you or anything else. Tell you what, you, got, you give to the church, you tithe, and I'll tell you what, you're going to hit the lottery, hallelujah. You're going to get rich. You're going to never have a problem. Just come to church here. You come to our church in your life, you'll be one, have a wonderful life. I ain't promising that lie. But people do. Some people get duped into modern Christendom by fear. I know the churches of today have swung the other way. It's all love, love. God loves everybody, and he don't care what you do. You know, there's a, there's, it's, there's a balance. But I'm going to tell you one thing. There will be no cowards in the fraternity of all the heroes of faith. And the only reason they're serving God because they are scared they're going to go to hell and burn. Or if you don't tithe here, you're going to be cursed. Oh, Really? A curse is going to come upon you. God's going to take all, all your good stuff away from you. It's not true. I said, it's not true. I mean, you know, there's people who don't, who, who don't tie got more stuff than you got. Some, Revelation 2.11, I got to read these scriptures. Revelation 2.11, and I'm not, I don't have time. If I'm going to keep these short, I can't get into full teaching that I've done in the past. Listen to this. Revelation 2.11. Hey, thank you, sir. He that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Well, I tell you what, Brother John, Jesus overcame for me. No, it says you've got to overcome. He got you into the race. You've got to run your own race. But listen, if you overcome, you're not going to receive the second death. I know you all know this already, but... It's a, it's a good review for us this morning. And there's a lot of people who never heard of the second death. Go to, uh, I tell you what, read verse 12. I didn't have that on here, but I don't want to go into all the churches. So go, go to chapter 20, verse 6. I don't have time. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power... But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right. 
I'm just giving you a generalization of knowing there's a second death. Some people are going to die twice. Those that overcome and those that are in the resurrection, the first resurrection, which is at the judgment seat of Christ, the last resurrection is at the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand years. I don't want to get into all that today, but I want you to know that if you are overcomer and if you are resurrected and get you well done, guess what? The second death won't have no power over you. See, the first death got power over you. The first death got power over everybody. And everybody knows it because we've experienced in our own personal lives. But you can't scare nobody into this. Scaring somebody has never made a genuine believer yet, and it never will. How many of you have been scared of something at night, but when the morning came, you weren't scared of it anymore? Same principle, really. But the true sons and the true daughters of Yahweh are free men. Hallelujah. We're free men because the truth has set us free from all kinds of fear that would bring us into slavery and manipulation. 1 John 4, 18. First John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let me tell you what, this ain't about you scaring you into something or manipulating you into something. How many of you know you can sell some stuff, man? You can, people can get so, and you can touch on their dysfunction or deficit, and you can get them to participate in a time, it's like when you go to a funeral. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can accept Jesus today. So you can be with mama in heaven. I have never heard them say this. Never. I've been to a lot of funerals. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can accept Jesus today. Are you going to go to hell like daddy? I've never heard them do that. It's always been, even daddy went to heaven. We're talking about free men who've chosen who love God with a perfect love, mature love, because we believed He first loved us. Oh, man, that's what I like. He loves me. I love when people love me and think highly of me and want to be with me and like, you know what I'm saying? I like those kind of people. I don't really like to be around people that, that don't like me. Am I the only one in the room? Between the times of Yeshua ascending and him returning the second time, the terms upon which salvation and immortality, et cetera, et cetera, is offered to mankind are contained in one place and one place alone and no other place, and that is in the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's what must believe, be believed. You read the New Testament, just take the the. the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read those and find anywhere, and you listen to what Yahshua preached and what the disciples preached and the apostles preached, and you see that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. When we're born into this world, we come under a curse and a sentence of death. That's why when people say, hey, if I don't tithe, am I cursed? You're already cursed. Everybody is under 
the curse under the law. Somebody, I ain't under law. I said, oh, yeah. You watch what happens. It's called the law of sin and death. You're going to die the first death. Dead. The law of sin and death is so powerful, they can't invent anything to let you live forever. Well, we're going to do all kind of stuff. We're going to have this, and we're going to recreate. And I, I Literally, I saw this before, y'all. I ain't, this, is no, not, this is not a story, and I don't think this is Photoshop. They grew a human ear on the back of a rat. Anybody see that? And thank God it was a skinless rat. I mean, a, a hairless rat. All right, it looked like my great-granddaddy that time when he used that. No. We're born under the curse and the sentence of death. I want to tell you, go to uh, Romans 8.20 and 8.21. Let me tell you how the Apostle Paul said it. We are made subject to vanity. We are made subject to vanity. Now, you know, a lot of times when we, we have this definition and pictures of words and what we think that means, it relates to maybe what part of the country we're from or, you know, whatever it our influences have been. So I don't like to take for granted that I, and assume that I know what, what that means. That we're made subject to vanity. That, that must mean that I'm vain. This is not talking about the Carly Simon song. This is talking about a word that pertains to the state of good and evil. And it ends in dissolution. Dis dissolved. Listen to what it says. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Man, don't let me get off on Romans 8 today or you're going to be here past lunch. The world of mankind is condemned already. The law of sin and death is on us. But the law of the spirit of life and Yahshua has made me free from the law of sin and death. First death, no. Second death, yes. If I'm an overcomer. If I bear fruit. And this, this situation that we're in isn't based on physical, you know, hey, I was... I was born in Georgia, you know, I, wasn't, I was born there, I can't blame me for that, I, you know. I can't, or way I, uh, my circumstances or how I was born physically, maybe, you know, I'm just not the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know. Well, guess what? I'm still cursed. I'm still born into the human family, and that human family is under the law of sin and death. And the first death will succumb every one of us. It's congenital. The condemnation is congenital. And we suffer evil from the moment we're born. What's, what happened? What's going on? What do you mean what's going on? You're dying. The moment you breathe that breath of air, you're dying. You're going to die and you're going to return to the ground just like the Bible says been nice man i wish there's a couple of things in genesis you know I, I i think i you don't need the rest of the bible really i mean of course we do but i'm saying if all you had was the first five books of the bible the pentateuch the law of moses I mean, if you if you had that first five books you could find out how to Im have immortality that's all yahweh gave israel for a while and in the very beginning the very first book if 
We were going to get to go to heaven and live forever. It's such a big thing, seemingly to me. Number one, that when you die, you shall surely die. Is that what he said? If you do this and not this, you're going to surely die. And I thought maybe it would have been nice of him to tell us that there's this Satan guy out there whose name is Lucifer. Not. Somebody would study the Bible one minute. I mean, that's the easiest thing. And tell us that he fell from heaven and took a third of the heavens, the angels with him in a rebellion, which is nowhere in the Bible, except in the book of Revelation, it talks about the star falling and taking his, taking his tail, taking a third of the sky. But that happens, that didn't happen before Genesis. If that, I mean, it don't mean, it don't mean that, but that's the only place in the Bible that even talks about it, but we have this whole thing, and that, and that Lucifer was the, Worship leader in heaven because, oh, how great thy timbrets and thy pipes and all this. Well, that must be an organ. What we call him is Celestial Elvis. I'm on my goal to see my Celestial Elvis. There he is. No, he didn't say nothing about no nothing. As a matter of fact, it was the serpent who said, Thou shalt surely not die. I'm going to tell you. What we're preaching is that you're going to die. And when you die, you're dead. Just like the Bible says, you're as a beast that perish. You have no thoughts. All the scriptures in the Bible that says that's what happens to you. Do you know that people can just not even hear that? I said, well, explain it to me, please. And then you have the serpent who is saying, you don't really die. You shall not surely die. In other words, what they're saying, you don't really die. You just die and your body and your spirit flies up and goes somewhere. I mean, that's really what it is. You either, got, you either doing what God says or you're doing what the serpent says. I, I, we, don't, we don't follow the serpent, remember? We follow the truth. And that's really nuts and bones. I mean, uh, that's what it, nuts and bolts, that's what it comes down to. You're going to believe the serpent, who's a deceiver and a liar, that says, no, you don't really die. Even though Yahshua did, I mean, Yahweh just told him, you're going to, y'all shall surely die. Well, they don't really mean that. Get thee behind me, serpent. It would be great if this condemnation that rests upon everybody that's ever born don't go beyond the first death. It would just be wonderful. Well, he's dead. So this has nothing to do. The first death has nothing to do with the second death. All it does is it puts us in subjection to the very thing the Bible says that we're born under, to this present evil, and that is that ultimately we return to dust, which is final and eternal, and to those who die in what the Bible calls the time of ignorance. You don't have to go there. It's Acts 17, 30, 31. I'll tell you what. Let's do go there. I'll just read it to you. It says, God overlooked the times when people didn't know any better, but now he commands everyone to turn to him and change the way they think and act. He has set a day when he's going to judge the world with justice, and he will use a man he has appointed to do this. God has given proof to everyone that he will do this by bringing that man back to life. If there was no other sentence than this pronounced by mankind, you know, there wouldn't be any second death. The second death has nothing to do with the penalty of the law of Eden, but it's has to do with the transgression of subsequent sin and subsequent laws, I should say. 
And I want to make one remark. I get, I, I'm criticized sometimes because I speak against things. I got to tell you something. How can you not speak against them? I think that's what's wrong with our country now. You know I mean, people, kids or babies are aborted. Nobody, oh, we don't want to say anything. We might lose our 501c3 status. This morning, I want to tell you that there was a, they're, they're called universalists. They believe in universalism. Basically, they believe this, that ultimately those that died in Christ, the people that died in Adam will be made alive in Christ. And they take that scripture out of context. And they basically believe this, that ultimately everything for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, the whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world, he loves the world. And they believe that ultimately everything will get saved and restored back to God. It don't matter who you were, what you did. And can I tell you something? They even believe in Satan. And they believe that in the end, even Satan, a.k.a. Lucifer, a.k.a. Beelzebub, all going to get saved again. I don't know any universalists, Johnny. Baptists are universalists. Once saved, always saved. You're just going to get saved. All you got to do is come shake my hand and keep coming every week. And we will over and over and over and over and over preach the same message every week and play, sing just as I am to get you down here. And you ain't going to learn a daggone thing. And people go every week to a church. It has the same message every week, trying to get somebody to get saved. I'm all for getting saved, but they're ignorant, and they are people who are condemning and damning people forever. Had there been no other sentence put into effect other than the sentence of Eden that says, you shall surely die, and had the word of Yeshua, when he came simply being, all shall be saved, then the false doctrine would be true. And I would have to assume that he assumed that this, that whosoever believeth, I have to assume that means all. There is a, still a sentence of condemnation, condemnation pronounced against unbelieving mortals, which restricts the all to only a portion of mankind and condemns the rest. So we understand that those people who have never heard the gospel and never had an opportunity to reject it, listen close to what I'm saying, will experience the first death. Did it, did it ever bother you? I know it has y'all. We've talked about it, but people are listening. It always bothered me if, if some guy was born in the dark jungles of the Amazon basin, never heard the name of how I was raised Jesus, then he would go to hell and burn forever. And so the mission of the church ultimately became, we got to hurry, go. We have to go to all the world. We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to tell them about Jesus. Not knowing that if they reject that, not only are they going to die the first death, they're going to have to experience the second death. So it's almost like you're doing them a favor not to tell them. Listen, I, I want you to listen closely to what I'm saying. I think we should tell everybody. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. Tell them what the Bible says. There are two sentences of condemnation to which if a man become unbelieving, he is going to get a double whammy. He's going to be doubly damned. What if, what, if, uh, what if they got the Bible and they go to church doubly damned? Because they have the opportunity and they will be rejecting the true gospel. The first death, we are condemned to the first death because you are born of the flesh. You're going to die. Everybody's going to die. And everybody, even people who don't believe the Bible, who don't live in America, 
Even that person who lives in that Amazon, Amazonian basin believes in death. They believe in the Edenic curse. But if you refuse and not believe the gospel, then you get condemned to the second death. No mortal son of Adam is doomed to the second death just because he was born. But being born of the flesh involuntarily, how many of you say, I didn't ask to be here? He becomes liable to the second death if he rejects the gospel of the kingdom preached by the prophets, the apostles, Yeshua, and even men like me. People like you who share it. John 3, 19. You know, it's interesting if people would read at least the whole chapter of John 3. It's very enlightening. But it's because he said that light is, and this is the condemnation. What's the condemnation? What's going to make us be condemned? That light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because they're what? Deeds were evil. That is the condemnation. So what? So we need to be saved from something. First thing we need to be saved from is ignorance of Yahweh's way. Now, she said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. We know who the way. What is the way? What is the pattern? I've taught you these for years. There they are. All through the Old Testament, man, there's all these patterns, you know. The seven baptisms in the tabernacle of Moses. Baptism of repentance. Baptism of water. Baptism of Holy Spirit. Baptism of fire. Baptism of the body. Baptism of the suffering. Baptism into the cloud. Right? The tabernacle in the wilderness. There it is. It shows it right there. You know, the brazen altar. The laver. The, the uh, uh, lampstand. The oil in the lampstand and the fire. The table of showbread. The altar of, of incense and the holy of holies. There it is. There's one way. I'm showing you how to get there. Listen, you cannot just keep going to the brazen altar every Sunday and then come to the brazen altar every Sunday and then maybe, you just might maybe get to, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the labor. All right, I'm baptizing water. Boom, boom, you go there. You can't just keep repeating over and over and get somewhere. Some people make it as far as... Uh, the inner court. I got the Holy Ghost now. And I can pray in tongues. I can do this. I got the Holy Ghost. I got the fire. I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. What I'm saying, though, you can't stay there. You've got to go on into the fire. I want to tell you what the fire does. It burns all the dross off of you. Somebody, well, wait a minute, it's a little hot there. Ouch! Ouchie! Ouchie! I think it's hypocritical today that you'll let your kids, a coach, yell at your kids to play better sports, but get mad at your pastor when he does. We're in training for one of the greatest things in the world. You know, we're getting prepared. And, we, and then what most people avoid is this. Listen to this. Because of hurts in the past and all those things that they never allow Yahweh to touch them, heal them from, and subconsciously live in the self-pity and wallow in, you know, the thing. It's just the truth. They never get into the table of showbread. They never, they never can come. And become one with others. You know, where you grind the, the wheat and the barley. You know, the wheat is maybe the high society rich people. The barley may be the poor people or whatever. But there's differences there. And what Yahweh does, he grinds it down so much to a flour and mixes it together. You can't distinguish one from the other. And then he bakes that big old bread, man, and we all eat of one another. But I know people that never got any further past that because they don't like people. They don't have a need. And they don't see their need. And this is even worse. They don't see others' need for them to be with us and to give their part. Eat. Here, take a bite of this. 
And I, was, I went to Mike's birthday party yesterday. Hey, try, try this chicken. Mm, I'm glad I did. Take a bite of this. I like to go places and say, take a bite of me. Not bite me. <laughs> I don't want y'all leaving here. Apostle said, tell you, bite me. I know we can't bleep black, can we? <laughs> I don't care. People know me good enough. To. So y'all see what I'm saying? We got to go all the way. It's a journey we're going. Yeah. What about Bethel, Jericho, Jordan? Elijah said to Elisha, he said, you know, when he was retiring, somebody said retiring. We talking about retiring. I said, do you know what the, 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 uh, uh, that there, that he was going and getting him a, the, uh, a, a, a replacement for himself because he was going into retirement. We know that 15, 10 to 15 years later, he sends a letter, so we know he's not dead. I thought he went to heaven. Which heaven? I mean, we, we can get into all that. We got good teaching on it. But this is what he did. He, he was, got ready to go. Elisha took his, his oxen cart, and broke it all down, and he sacrificed his livelihood, basically, sacrificed it to God and said, Okay, Elijah, I'm ready to go. And Elijah looked at him and said, What are you talking about? See, some people don't know what the chariot of Israel is. They have an assumption, you know, when we were in kindergarten, we, we saw this picture of him on this chariot and these horses, and he's in the sky and, you know, the flannel board stuff. And so then, then we see Elijah, Elisha down there doing this. But the chariot of Israel was a representation of the office of the man of God that, that ruled governmentally and spiritually uh, oversight of, the, of that nation at the time. So here he was getting that replacement. Elisha was going to follow him. And this is what Elijah said. No, you, no. What are you talking about? I thought, you know, I burned all my stuff. I thought you were going to, I thought I was supposed to follow you. Because he told him, if you're with me when I leave, you can ask whatever you want. So he goes 30-fold, what we call it, 30, 60, 100-fold. Outer court, inner court, saint, uh, holy of holies. He follows Elisha to the first town called Bethel. The word Bethel means house of God. He goes to him, he follows him there. And then he says this, I tell you what, Elisha, stay right here. I'm going to go down here to Jericho. You just stay right here, though. I'll be right back. And you know what Elijah said? Elisha said, uh-uh. No, I got you right here. I am not going to not be there to miss what God has for me. So he goes to Jericho. Jericho has to do with moon phases and the time of seasoning. And then, of course, you go to Jericho because he did the same thing. I'm going to go down here to Jericho. You stay right there. And he said, Heck no. Falling into Jericho. Jericho means crossing over. Now watch this. House of God, time of seasoning, crossing over. 30, 60, 100 fold. The Old Testament is full of those things. And what I love about it is this. I've got friends who are always prophesying the next great move of God. God's going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and what they do, it's easy to do this. They reminisce about the past of something that they experienced in the past, and they really are wanting to re-experience that. We get to Jericho. Elijah gets his mantle. But he had 50 of the sons of the prophets saying, Yeah, as you go over there, you shall. Yeah, I say unto thee, you're going to do this. They all talked about it, but nobody ever went. 50. Hebrew word penta. Pentecostal, so to speak. Charismatic word of faith. 64 people. This is milk, milk teaching. He goes across on dry land. And this is what I love, that time for came. He didn't look, he did not look at Elijah and say, my apostle, my apostle, my prophet, my prophet, my pastor, my pastor, my evangelist, my evangelist, my teacher, my teacher, my buddy, my buddy. You know what he said? My father, 
my Father. Because what this message is, is relational. And if we don't know how to relate in that baptism into the body, I'm going to tell you something. You are stuck in the mud. And you will never be able to cross over. Never! Because you have too much pride to consider relationships. We got, we got to be saved from the ignorance of God's way. We got to be delivered from moral perversion. I'm not just talking about taking a moral stand. You know, there are moral guys that inside they're immoral. We don't find out maybe till after they die because some men's sins will come before them. Other men's sins come after them. You don't know till you find out, hey, they're dead. Oh, what's this secret room here? I'm talking about a morality that has transformed you into what? And you but now hate immorality. Third, we are saved from the influence and the desire to be like this present light life in, in this present world in the way that we dream, perceive, and wish, wish, you know. Man, I wish I was like that. I wish I could have that. I wish I'd be like that. I wish I did that. I mean, I mean, my God, we got to be saved from that. Come out of the world. And fourthly, we got to be saved from the finality of that grave. The light which God has revealed in the scriptures will save us from the ignorance and the results of Death. Let me tell you what it comes from. Listen close. Superstition, fear, bigotry, unbelief. This is all the stuff, man, that'll keep you from getting the reward. I've never, I mean, church people are superstitious. Satan and demons and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I, I was the king of them. Don't get me wrong. I was a king of superstition. Repentance and remission of sins in the name of Yahshua will rectify our consciences and in the resurrection unto life, or that bodily transformation at the, get it, when we get our well done, will deliver us from all the harm that and now all the harm that the flesh is heir to. Everything the flesh will inherit, which is the wage of sin, is, and restore us to a being of God's intent with the first Adam that will live forever and ever motivated the wages of sin is what death wages are paid to those who what labor those who in their life sow to the flesh this is Galatians 6 8 will be paid for the labor that they perform and the pay for this kind of labor is the Bible says corruption or 2nd Corinthians 2 6 calls it death unto death or what death ending in corruption let me tell you what corruption is it's perishing the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 8, shall of the flesh reap corruption. And then he goes on to say, and whose end is corruption. So that death, corruption, and destruction are what? The wages of sin. Which every person is fairly entitled to who loves darkness rather than light and refuses to accept the gospel of the kingdom. I tell people, have at it. You have the right to death Corruption and destruction. Have at it. John 3.19 says this is why people are condemned. I read it a while ago. Why? They loved darkness more than light. Yahshua, the pattern son. Tell your neighbor, the pattern son. There's another pattern in the New Testament. 
Tabernacle of Moses. I mean, we got all the Old Testament. I mentioned two of them today. You got Yahshua himself and his own life is a manifestation of the Father to the world. What? The way mentally and morally to come to the Father and receive immortality. After his resurrection, he became the perfect reflection or the perfect manifestation of Yahweh, mentally, morally, and then, or now I should say for him, bodily. He did this, this, and his body received immortality. All through history, man, we read in the Bible, and there's people in the, all through history that we have no clue about who are great men, great women, strong and powerful warriors and heroes of the faith that we had never even heard of. Who believe just like we do. How I many know there's millions that never heard what we believe? But we're here, aren't we? And all through history, Yahweh's been developing character and, and all kind of men and women who, like Yahshua, will also be perfected and receive an immortal body when he returns. What we got to do, guys, is we must continue to be developed in character. In mental and moral likeness of Yahweh. We got to do that now. And you cannot stop where you are today. Ultimately, your body's going to be changed like Yahshua's. And we're going to be granted his divine nature at the judgment seat of Christ on that day. How many of you are with me? This is the good news revealed in the name of Yahweh. That's what it all means. So somebody, let's say together, hallelujah, Yah, praise Yahweh. All right, I'm closing. Hosea 6.4. Hosea 6.4. It's a book in the Bible. What should I do with you, Ephraim? What should I do with you, Judah? Listen to this. Your love is like the fog in the morning. It disappears as quickly as the morning dew. Don't you hear Yahweh talking to his people? Oh, Judah. Oh, Ephraim. What am I going to do with you? Your goodness is as the morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. Who sings that song? Part-time lover. Is that Philip Bailey? It's Stevie Wonder, yeah. He's blind. Part-time lover. Tell you what, I don't think many people are going to put up with that junk. Yeah, honey. I'll be back after a while. I'll be back in a couple of days. I've got another chickie out here. I'm going to go visit. <laughs> I will experience the dust of my parents. No, you ain't going to put up with it. You're always saying, what am I going to do with y'all? Your love. It's like the fog in the morning. Go to chapter 10, verse 1, Brian. This is what he said. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. Let me read you God's word version of that. The people of Israel like vines that used to produce fruit. And the more fruit they produce, the more altars they built. And the more land they produced, and the more their land produced, the more stone markers they set up to honor other gods. How did I always say it? That you let the blessing of God finance your own rebellion. 
He said, what? What? How could you offer me a can of worms? Offer me something that's so temporal and corruptible and destructible, not only in its own self, but it destroys me and me choose that over serving Yahweh. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you have contempt for God, who is very kind to you, puts up with you, and deals patiently with you? Don't you realize that it's God's kindness that is trying to lead you to Him and change the way you think and act? What, what makes me want to repent? What makes me want to serve God? What's me? Because He's been so good to me. Now, I could say, well, I'd about, I, could, I could pick out a bunch of junk that may be happening in my life and blame God. I don't. Because i got to tell you, my testimony is God has been good to me. I've been, I've been through some stuff, you know, I've, and I'm still going through. I'm still learning and training and maturing, hopefully. But the bottom line is God's been good to me, man. God's been good to me. And I don't deserve it. Because I was born under a curse. There was nothing good about me. I want to tell you, serving God made me respectable to people. Because I don't think I was that respectable when I was young. Because I wasn't very respectful. Serving God allowed me to have nice things. Serving God has allowed me to have a family. A lot of you here today. Have, serving God, even though there's times I felt like, hey, you know, giving up my future, and I could have justified it. But I know that there will be people down the road who would need me to show them the way. I will be there. And I count it a joy. I count it a joy to serve Him. He said, man, Paul said, you have contempt for God? What he's offered me, what he does for me. And if he didn't do anything else, he's offered me immortality. That's worth repenting over. That's worth serving him for. People, I see people give their whole life and everything just to grab a little gusto in this life. I'm going to tell you what, I ain't going, I'm going way past that gusto. Y'all hear me? I can't settle for anything else. Romans eleven twenty two. This is what people take for granted. Here's Paul again. He's still talking. In, you know, Romans is a powerful book. There's more than just three or four scriptures in there that people quote. Listen to this. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God of, on them which fail. He's talking about the children of Israel. Severity, excuse me, but toward thee, goodness, if you'll continue in his goodness, otherwise also Thou also shall be cut off. I'm convinced. Now see, look at look at how kind and how severe God can be. He's severe to those who fail, but kind to you if you continue to hold on to His kindness. What kind of fool am I that would turn loose of His goodness and kindness? Am I an idiot? What kind of fool am I? I'm no fool. Somebody's good to me. I'm not going to be bad to them. Hello. If you do, you've got something wrong with you. I said, when you do wrong to those that love you and do good to you, there's something wrong with you. 
might as well face it now. Because if you don't take care of those things that are thorn flesh and your issues today, that thorn in the flesh will come become a pain in the butt to other people. Man, I love people that are good to me. Romans 15, 14. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that you too are filled with goodness. I'm also convinced that you have all the knowledge you need and that you are able to instruct or admonish each other. Paul said, look, we got it, the goods. It's here. I don't want to die twice. I don't want to die once. Unless it's real quick. I don't want to die twice once. I'd like to be here when Yahshua returns. To those who are alive and remain, I want to be one of the lives that remain. Somebody said, well, I thought you'd go to heaven. No, it says you're alive and remain. What Galatians 5 says, but the spiritual nature produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Ephesians 5, 9 says, light produces everything that is good, and it has God's approval, and that is true, it said. Hallelujah. It's the truth. Light produces everything that's good, and God approves it. I love the good stuff that God wants to bless us with, and he says, that's fine with me. You know what he says? Yay and amen to his promises. He don't say, I don't know, I know. One more verse, and I'm closing. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. I don't think our program is the God's Word. Let's read the King James first. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness, and the work of faith with power. Man, I could have just started there and still be going. Listen, listen, y'all. Paul said, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling <laughs> and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. See, I think a lot of people have a slant. And it could be bad because your daddy treated you a certain way, your mama treated you a certain way. Let me tell you why you're really that way, because you were born that way. If you don't believe me, ask, ask that girl, what's her name, that has the meat dress? Ask Lady Gaga. She says you were born that way. I said, you sure were. Under condemnation and under the law of sin and death, you're born cursed. That's why you're like you are. Because I know people have been abused by their mom and daddy, and guess what? They're fine. Y'all listen to me just a minute. The expiration on that's already expired. Blaming your mom and daddy on stuff is already expired, okay? Look, I'm 63. My daddy treated me. My daddy been dead so long. Surely I got out from under the influence of his hand this long. Even though I do turn the lights off when I go into the other room. Fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness. He's pleased to bless us and be with us and walk with us. But I'll tell you what. If you live in sin and in the dark, then you don't remain in his goodness. You're making a choice to, to live in darkness and not in light. We've got to live in the light as he is in light and walk in the light. Watch this. And here we go. The work of faith, read it, read it, with power. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'm praying that through Yahweh's power, he will help you accomplish every good desire you have. Not bad desires, 
Good desires. Tell somebody right now, good, not bad. Lord, I wish you'd kill him. I'd get me a new husband. Make it quick. Make it quick. Just kill him. Amen. You may not pray that, but you probably prayed it mentally to God before. <laughs> All the married folks are like, To help you accomplish every good desire through his power. I got a lot of good desires. Do you? I got some bad desires. But the good desires, he wants to help me accomplish those. And help me do everything that faith will produce. God bless you. If you're not tithing and sending money to us, you're going to hell. Bye. You can turn it off after that. <laughs> eh, it don't matter. I asked somebody else, is, it, is off the deep end a compliment or a, or a curse? I mean, or a, a, a you know, insult. insult, yeah. Did they just insult me? I was like, God said, 